0: I've been spending uh, the last few weeks, and this is our final, final week, I know last week I said it was the final week, but um, I've extended it one week um, with this message, uh, referring to the end times signs that God has given to us in His Word that we were to be attentive to. Um, and tonight I want to... Bring it to a culmination by looking at another period of time when the people of God were being expectant. When they were waiting for something and waiting anxiously for it where they had ample, uh, New Test or Old Testament prophecies regarding it. And of course, that is the first coming of our Lord. That they were looking and anticipating it and anticipating it, um, and it came. And it didn't come in Jerusalem. It didn't come with fanfare in terms of earthly men, by and large, although we're going to look at a little bit of that next week, or next week, tomorrow night. Um, preaching every night is going to be fun. I wouldn't mind doing that more often. But uh, we have this opportunity to look into the first coming of Christ and what it was like for them to anticipate it to uh, consider its purposes and how they responded to the evidences that were around them. And so, to look into this, we want to look, go to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to spend some time here on really just uh, about three or four passages I want to focus in on. Um, we're going to look back into John the Baptist and his proclamation. We're going to look forward, of course, into uh, his ministry time, but I really want to draw down, not on the, on the family there at the narrative, but at those around it um, that are described as those looking for his coming. Before we do so, let's uh, go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us. We pray as we get into it, your spirit might direct us into all truth, as you have promised us, and uh, Lord, we pray you might guard this time from error, from opinion of men, That it might uh, be of your spirit and of your word. That it might uh, impact our lives and That we might have discernment in understanding it and in applying it. And we need your help in both of these areas. And we thank you that you freely offer that to all who would ask. And we ask just that from you tonight. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. Well... We look at uh, the sudden appearance, and it really was to some degree sudden, uh, to both Joseph and Mary in the Matthew one and Luke one passages uh, that caught them off guard. And they're fear not, you know, I bring you good tidings of great joy, um, just as the shepherds were caught off guard um, by the angelic hosts, and they were told to fear not either. And and they have this wonderful news that's given to them. So we do have these individuals caught off guard, but uh, they really shouldn't have been too caught off guard. And the reason for that is because six months earlier, a phenomenal thing took place um, that itself was the culmination of uh, some, uh, I'm sorry, six months earlier, something happened in their immediate family. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Let me back up. In their immediate family, they have near relatives that uh, met the Lord. Zacharias was in the temple performing his duty. The lot fell to him, quote-unquote. Of course, we know that God is in control. That's why Israel is called to use that form of identifying who it is, which of the tribe of Levi were to go in among the priestly set to go into uh, the Holy of Holies that day. And it was his turn. He had that announcement was given to him. He comes out mute. It was evident that he had some uh, vision or someone had met him there. And so we have some rumblings that something is going on. Something is occurring. So God is at work again after after years and years and years and years of silence. Now suddenly things are rumbling it seems. And, and we find some uh, things that are causing people to think and to consider What's going on in this time frame? And of course, Mary is then told to go visit her relative Elizabeth. And she was six months pregnant by that point in her sixth month. And then we have the whole record of what happened at that birth three months later. They hear Dad had been mute for nine months because he didn't believe. And so God had to mute him to give evidence that uh, this is the working of God in his life. As John the Baptist is born, he names him according to the instruction that he received. And with that naming, he is able then to talk. And uh, verse 65 of chapter 1 of Luke tells us that fear came on all who dwelt around them. And all these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And so there's a lot of discussion going on. There's a lot of talk. That's what discussion is. A lot of talk. What's happening? What's What about this kid? Who is this John that Zacharias and Elizabeth have had in their old age that uh, was prophesied in his time in the Holy of Holies? And, and uh, so they're discussing it all throughout the hill country. Verse 66, and all those who heard them kept them in their hearts saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. And so they're thinking about what kind of future is out there for us? Who is this child? And this chi- God has destined something spectacular upon this child. We are talking about the Christ child. We're talking about John the Baptist. In six months, here comes Jesus Christ. And so when I say that we have a six-month lead, we have a six-month lead really for Joseph and Mary. Mary particularly, their near relative um, in Elizabeth, she hid herself for five months and then uh, apparently came out of hiding as a sixth month and so Mary went up to her. um, And again, here's an old lady having a baby. And now we have a six-month lead of all of this talk. What's going on? God is something, God's doing something. And here in Zacharias and Elizabeth, and now suddenly we have the, uh, narrative placing us at the birth of the Christ down in Bethlehem with the angels and all that's involved there. But it's really eight days later when Mary and Joseph come back up to Jerusalem to, uh, for Christ's circumcision. And he comes up in there, the eight days were accomplished, verse 21, and then, and they circumcise him, give him the name, uh, days of purification are completed, he's, he's, uh, brought up again with the sacrifice of purification, and then verse 25, behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This is chapter 2, I'm sorry. Did I skip chapters and not tell you? You should be used to that by now. Just, Keep with me. Okay, here we go. Verse 25 of chapter 2 in Luke. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout. And now it's this next phrase I want to really focus on. Waiting, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that aspect of the Holy Spirit was upon him would make him prophesy some things in a little bit, but also identify to him that he would not die until he saw the Christ. Um... Now that's a, we might look at that and say, "Well, that's kind of spectacular." But remember, for six months now, there's been talk. For six months, there's been discussion all around the hill country, Judea. Who is that kid, born to Zacharias and Elizabeth? Who is he? That was some weird stuff going up there. Maybe that was just urban legend. No. That really happened. There he is. This child. There's something supernatural going on around and about. And Simeon, in response to that, um, is given this promise by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm convinced within this time frame that uh, as he queried and asked the Lord, what does this all mean? And the Lord reveals to him, who is also going to become one of the prophets of the time, uh, unlikely prophets like uh, Zacharias, and now here's Simeon, um, no, you're not going to see death till you see the Messiah. And no, it's not John the Baptist. It's another one who is the consolation. So we have this individual, Simeon, described as waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I would like to contend with you, or propose to you really, that this is the nature of the people of God. Those who genuinely love the Lord are waiting for Him. We are looking for Him. And just as this man was looking for Him in his day, so we ought to be looking for Him in our day. Now, am I proposing that we have some Holy Spirit uh, as revealed, that I won't see death before I see Lord Jesus' Come face. No, I'm not proposing that. But I'm proposing that he represents a class of people that we're going to be introduced to a little bit later on here in Luke chapter 2. Turn with me. I have to turn a page in my Bible. Maybe you don't. To verse 38. Same chapter. This is a gal named Anna who is there. And she apparently hears what Simeon has to say. Um, and she's going to respond. Uh, she was there. Um, Joseph and Mary are there. The baby's there. Joseph... Uh, I'm sorry, Simeon uh, makes his declaration in prose there. that We find uh, up through 32 and then 34, He, he Simeon blesses them, uh, says to Mary, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And so we have this prophetic utterance. Anna is there. This is this widow, old, old, old widow lady who has just been waiting for someone to declare something like this. And here she comes upon the scene. Here's the words of Simeon. and, And she responds to it in that instant, it says in verse 38. Coming in that instant, the instant of Simeon's prophecy and declaration and blessing, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him. And here's the next phrase I want to really focus in on. To all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. There was a whole group of people and Anna knew who they were. This gal who had dedicated herself to spending time in the temple uh, daily uh, and was a woman of prayer, she knew who those were who were looking for someone. They were looking for the Messiah. She knew who they were, who were expecting it, who were paying attention to things that were spoken of that uh, just a few days ago, a week ago, a little more than a week ago, down there, in, or a month ago, or down there in Bethlehem. Some spectacular things happened. Six months before that, we had more spectacular things happen. Uh, nine months before that, we had that event with Zacharias in the temple. Remember? All this talk going around. What's it all about? It's the coming of the Messiah. And her response in her agedness is to simply thank the Lord and to make sure everyone heard about this person. Jesus, this little child who was their redemption, who would buy them out of their sin by the shedding of his blood. And so she shared that truth with all that would listen. She knew who they were. She knew that there was that class of people and is that class of people that we need to be of today who are looking, who are waiting, who are anticipating, who are seeing what's going on and recognizing that it has a, a direct impact upon our lives, that the Christ is coming. In this text, in our circumstances, the Christ is coming again, very, very soon. And we have seen that those evidences, even as there were prophecies fulfilled there in Bethlehem and in John the Baptist and all the things that already the fullness of prophecy coming to fruition in their presence. And Christ hasn't even started his ministry. They're still 30 years away from really being redeemed, from Christ fulfilling that role. They're over 30 years out for Over 29 years, 28 years, you have almost complete silence. We don't know what was going on. We know that John the Baptist was growing in favor with God, was living out in the wilderness, and we know that Jesus was growing in favor with God and men. We have a single account of his 12-year-old event here in Luke, but by and large we have a, a real silence and and so when we look at these people waiting and anticipating and you see their joy and their fullness of just recognizing that here He is. I don't have to be around for the whole story. The whole story is sure. Why? Because the beginning of the story has happened. And the fullness, whenever it happens, I'm just in wonder of the times I live in that I get to see... Even if he's just a baby right now, I get to see the Messiah. And Simeon and Anna and all those who are looking for this. And then we jump forward 29 years or so, 28 years into the ministry of John the Baptist. And John comes with a very powerful message of repentance. He, his, his question is, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He understood that the coming of the Messiah was not just for deliverance, but for judgment. And then he says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. And they say, what should we do? If if God's judgment is coming as well as salvation, what should we do? And he gives them some instructions. I want to jump to chapter 3, verse 15. That over 30 years, at least 28 years, nearly 30 years, the people who had seen wondrous things, had to wait. And look at verse 15. Now as the people were in expectation, and all reason their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John clears it out and says, No, I'm not he. I'm the, when he comes, I'm not worthy to you know, unlatch his sandals. I'm not worthy to do the least thing for him when he comes. And you'll know him, and he is soon identified. Um, but we find this whole group of people who are responding to the message of John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, in expectation, and they're in such expectation that they're chomping at the bit and uh, to the point that they're willing to even, maybe John is the guy. Maybe this is the guy. Maybe we don't have to wait. Even though it's, what, a few weeks, a few months? that John preaches before the Christ arrives on the scene. But they didn't even want to wait that long. They were in expectation. What were they in expectation of, a Redeemer? They were in expectation of the Christ. Some had been in expectation for nearly 30 years because they had seen the beginning of the story of Christ's first coming. And now they were entering into the latter days Those last three or four or five years, depending upon when you think John the Baptist began preaching, Um, but uh, those last few years, now where the fullness was there, and they would see the Christ come in all of His power and glory, we would see Him then shed His blood for their sins, and then we would see that glorious resurrection. The power of salvation provided for all men that the purpose of the first coming of Christ is fulfilled. Well, they were in expectation of it. They wanted it. They wanted it so bad, they were even willing to, to uh, put their hopes and trust upon John. John quickly diverts them and says, no, our trust and hope is in another, and I will point Him out. That's my job. I am the one who is the declarer of Him. I'm not Him. But what I want to see is among this class of people, whether it be at the beginning stages of Christ's birth, whether it be at this intermediate kind of stage, right before the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, those three years or so, and the expectation that was even rooted in the heart of the disciples, they're saying, are you going to set up the kingdom now? Are you going to set up the kingdom now? Are you going to set up the kingdom now? now?" And if that sounds like what I have been sounding like for the last few months, Christ could come now. Christ could come now. Why? Because I don't think we're at the beginning stages, those early evidences. I think we're pretty far along. I'm not even sure that we're at the intermediate stage. But all through that, we find that righteous, godly people anticipate God's coming. They anticipate God's Christ working. And they'll ask that question of themselves, of God and each other. Is this it? Is this the coming? Is this what was foretold? And as we're going to see tomorrow night, the religious leaders who weren't really looking for Christ coming at all, because they were shocked that the wise men showed up, the magi showed up, um, had no problems knowing the prophecy, what the prophecy said. And I find that in most Christian circles, most of us have some kind of grasp of all these signs, these prophetic statements about the end times that are in God's Word. But what I find, especially in in our particular circle of theology, if you will, uh, in the regular Baptist movement and really fundamental Baptists all around, um as well as others of the pre tribulational, premillennial view that hold to eminence, um, is that we, we're too afraid to put our finger on it. Why? Because we have been saying for at least a hundred years now that there is no prophetic material between Christ, between Pentecost and the Rapture. And this, I think, has been our undoing. For Christ is very clearly and John is very clearly and and Paul is very clearly and the Old Testament prophets have very clearly presented us that there are things that we should be looking for. There are the evidences and we have studied them carefully and looked at these passages that the Thessalonians were were told you're going to see at least these two things. John lifts off uh, extensive material. Jesus lifts off extensive material. Um, of what you should expect during the church age and how do we know it's coming near its closing. Why have we done that? I would contend that the formulation of that idea of imminence, that there's no prophetic material we're supposed to be looking for, was generated from a time period when none of it was really coming out yet. Israel wasn't a nation then. When pre-trib, pre-millennialism came forward around the turn of the century, that's the 1800s, 1900s, that turn of the century, not this most recent turn of the century. Back there, there was no Israel. There wasn't any. The falling away really just barely begun and it wasn't strongly evidenced in many of our churches. There certainly... Um, wasn't the indicators that were out there. Pictures didn't talk yet. They were just starting to work on that. And we see all of these evidences that God gave us hadn't happened yet. And so, here is where this definition of imminence came from. It came from godly people who wanted Christ to return. In their day. And since there was none. Of these kinds of signs. Had come to fruition. In their day. They took a position on eminence. That there was no signs. That needed to come to fruition. Before Christ's coming, and They made the evidences. Of the continuance of the church age. The evidences of the coming of Christ. And we don't fault them. Because we're hopefully just as guilty. That is that we are willing to anticipate and ask of God, is this the day? Can it be today? Oh, please, let it be today. (laughs) Because that's the heartbeat of those who are godly and righteous is that they want to anticipate Christ's coming. They are looking for it. They are... Waiting for it. In these three terms, in this narrative of Christ's coming, the waiting, the looking, and the expectation. Those are the three words used here. Those who are expecting it, those who are looking for it, those who are waiting for it. um, Needs to be what we are. But we are in a unique situation, very similar, I think, to these individuals. Yes, the work, the completed work of Christ... Um, in terms of his salvific work as Messiah, wasn't going to happen even in the time of John the Baptist for years to come. For Anne and Simeon, um, obviously, it wasn't a baby that was going to die on a cross. There was much prophecy that he would have to fulfill in his ministry period. But just the realization that this is That. This child is that promise fulfilled in my day. And we stand in such a time where we can say this prophecy is that that we have experienced in our day or in days past. That we should be waiting. We should be looking. And we should even be at the point of John the Baptist listeners who are expecting something. And this I talked about last week. What does it mean to be expecting Christ? It means that we are praying the prayer that Paul prayed in Philippians. Lord, find me worthy. Lord, make me worthy. Count me worthy of the resurrection at your coming. To be expecting Christ isn't sitting back in our rocking chair spiritually, nor is it jumping up onto a mountain and disregarding all of our spiritual responsibilities and just waiting because we know we're of the number and and uh, so it's got to be soon and so I'm just going to sit up here and wait for it to come. That is not biblical waiting, looking, and expecting. It is doing what these people did. What did they do? Well, look at the description of Simeon. A guy was waiting for the consolation. He was just and devout. Look at the description of Anna. It says that she was, uh, didn't depart from the temple, served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Look at the people here. They were out there responding to the message of repentance, saying, What do we do? And they did it. They followed The preacher into righteousness. That preacher being John the Baptist. And they they followed him into this being expectant group. That as soon as he said, there's the man, they were ready to go after him. This is what waiting looks like. It is not spiritual retirement. (laughs) Okay? Waiting is that I'm going to engage myself in this devotion to the Lord, and I'm going to abound in the work that we saw there in Corinthians, uh, that we're going to just commit ourselves more fully to following after Him in righteousness and in truth, to doing His work. That we don't do less for God, but more. That we have that urgent message that John said that the wrath is coming. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. The end of the church age is upon us. Judgment is here. This needs to be our message that today is a day of salvation. There may be no tomorrow. Oh, that that would drive us in ministry. And so we find these phrases here in Luke of an expectant, waiting, looking remnant of Israel that once Christ showed up on the scene were thrilled and thankful even though it was certain that Anna and Simeon didn't survive to witness the resurrection. They didn't have to. They had full confidence. This was the day's These were the days. This was the time that God was fulfilling His Word. And whether we survive to Christ's coming or not, we live in such a time that we can be thankful to God that we live in these days. Not because they're easy, but because they're nearly done. And whether it be Three months or thirty years. We can see the evidence around us, even as they held that child in their arms and said, Here he is, the one who will one day I don't know exactly when, but one day will be my redeemer. Not only do we share it with all those who look for redemption that they might be expecting, but we share a message of repentance. To all others. And so as we consider the narrative of Christ's first coming and look at the anticipation that just reeks throughout these pages and passages, yes, it came suddenly to some. Zacharias wasn't quite ready to get that. Mary and Joseph, sudden appearance, the shepherds, suddenly the angels were there. But now, it's all those others that were waiting for it. They were looking for it. They were anticipating it, expecting it. And we haven't even gotten to the Magi who figured it out by the signs of the heavens that was available to all men universally, but they were alone, responded we're going to look at them tomorrow night. But I just want to challenge us that we join this kind of company, that we who call ourselves by the name of Jesus Christ be like these godly, faithful people who expected, looked for, and waited for the coming of their Savior, that we too might be found consistently, faithfully, devoutly, (laughs) righteously, expecting Christ's coming, looking for it, and waiting for it. That when it comes, we will rejoice. But even today, we can rejoice. Why? Because we've already seen so much more than generations of Christians who long to see what we have seen, never saw. Generations of the church have waited to see what we take for granted. There is an Israel in the land. That there are all the things that God spoke of that we have studied over these many, many weeks. Today is the day of salvation. That's our message. Why? Why? Because we know that tomorrow is not secure at all for this world. Only in Jesus Christ is your tomorrow secure. Only in the kingdom of Jesus is there safety. And that is our message. It is the message of all those who are expecting, looking, and waiting for the second coming just as these expected, waited, and looked for His first coming. Let's pray.